you don't accidentally choke someone. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Right. You don't accidentally choke someone. Between the present and the past, memories held in the walls and earth, energies and entities that cross the barrier into our dreams and our consciousness. That which has been left behind between the living and the dead. I'm Emily. And I'm Joy. And this is Is The the Residuals. Residuals. Okay. All right. I All just right. want to yeah. get this out of the way. Do it. At the top of the show. Mm-hmm. The thing crying in the background incessantly is my cat. I'm sorry. She just does it all the time now. She's old. She's losing her hearing. She just cries all the time. And I apologize. She's on, I gave her chill drugs. Hopefully she'll chill soon. (laughs) But I just want you to know, it's not my child screaming, it's my cat. I don't believe you. My child is asleep. Also, my child knows all the words now. He would just come in and tell me what he wanted me to do, because that's what he does. I love him. We've been in lots of fights lately. Lots is of fights. It, is it because he's turned into a tiny grown-up with his vocabulary? And he he's, can ration and reason there's like way a beyond his to years. it. Yeah, like he was doing that, but now he's like somehow leveled up further. How the like he tells me he tells me things like, Okay, mom, here are your options. No. Because that's what I say to him. And like he's slightly better at negotiating, but he still sucks. So I say things, he'll be like, how about three cookies? And I'm like, how about two? Like I said, and he's like, how about three? I'm like, how about none? And then he's like, uh, so, but he'll always go, okay, mom, how about three? Okay. How about none? I go, okay, fine. None. And he doesn't understand why it doesn't like level out for him. I forgot to mention, well, I forgot. I, I've got a flashback thing. One of the first stories, uh, one of the first personal stories that I talked about on this show was the odd things that I caught on a baby camera flying around my kid in her crib. And it was in October of 2017. So um, here's the thing. So I always, the way I'd always remembered it, which granted this was three years ago and my brain is now Swiss cheese was that she was irritated and whiny with it. But I just found a a thing that I'd written about it the day after it happened. And apparently she woke up at 11 p.m., sat up, started giggling, and then she was babbling, giggling, and whining on and off for about 45 minutes with long pauses in between. And she was getting molars, so I just chalked it up to that. Sure. And so that's when, like, around, like, 1 a.m., I finally got up to get her some Motrin just to see, you know, because there were long pauses between. 
and that's when I saw the weird shit on the baby monitor. Oh, so she was having conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And then when she was done with her conversation, she was like, listen, I'm trying to sleep now. Fuck off. Leave me alone. And they were like, no, 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 but I got this. Just just hear me out. Just Just one more. Just listen. Just think up. One more. Yeah. One more to tell you. One more. Uh So (gasps) my first scare mail is going to be from Annie. She's got a few stories. So I'm just going to read all of them. Are you ready? All right, let's go. I mean, because if you're not, tough tits. Okay, (laughs) so here it goes. Dear Joy and Emily, when I was five, we lived in a very old house in upstate New York, definitely ghosty. I used to see a little boy in a sailor suit looking out towards the Hudson, and I used to feel figures sitting next to me and then getting up and drifting away. Stop it. But I also used to have a reoccurring dream while there that my father was a ghost and would roam the very long hallway, look at me once, then drift through the door. The interesting thing about these dreams was that in them he didn't look how he looked at the time. Later on, I realized he looked exactly how he looked seven years later when he actually died. Oh, God. I'm crying and I have goosebumps. So here's the other thing. So wait till you hear this, right? And he continues. Here's a recent one. I had just gotten into bed uh, when I heard the familiar footsteps of our five-year-old daughter running down the hallway to our room. But when she didn't appear, I called out to her and there was silence. So I got up and went into her room and she was fast asleep. Mm. I lay down again and started to fall asleep. And it was maybe a half hour later when I heard her running down the hall again. This time it was her. After this event, she started talking cryptically about the other kid who lived in our house. She would say, you know, the other kid. And no. then kind of laugh or bury her face in the couch like, I don't want to talk about this. But she would mention it quite a bit like, mom, you know the other kid, the other kid in our house? And I'd be like, tell me more. And she would just be like, you know. Oh my God. No. Uh, she goes on to say that she was actually just in her early second trimester of being pregnant. Her talking about this ended as soon as the baby was born. Really? Yes. Oh, interesting. So here's the other thing. Her daughter also had a dream a few months ago that they went to visit um, Annie's brother and sister, but that they lived in a camper van and had a new baby. Literally the next day, Annie's brother called to say that they were pregnant and had bought an RV. So maybe my kid is psychic and has a connection with unborn babies. Here's the thing. This is around, it started when her kid was five. That's what she says in her first story when she was five. That's what I was going to say. And she had like a premonition of her dad. Right. Right. So they both have premonition things that happen. Right. So, okay, then she's got this. (gasps) Sorry, I just. You need a minute. I need (laughs) like so goosebumpy right now. My eyes are all watery. I can't see. Oh, God. 
maybe I could get her to dream about me getting a camper because I want one. Oh, God, me too. <laughs> okay. Her email goes on. In my early 20s, I was on a road trip. I like this because it's just like, sorry, sorry, to the point. In my early 20s, I was on a road trip through Georgia with two friends. We stopped late one night by some super old church because it looked cool and spooky and we wanted to explore. We found ourselves in this little graveyard surrounded by woods. We were running around reading the old timey names on the tombstones and generally just goofing off. All of a sudden, my friend Ben twists his ankle and drops down right on top of the grave. We look at the tombstone and it says, Ben Thomas, age six, died June 6th. 1866. That's a lot of sixes, Joy. Ben looked at his phone and it was exactly midnight on June 6th, 2006. Little Ben was clearly trying to get Ben's attention on the 140th anniversary of his death. Oh my God. I can't even talk because it's too much. Okay. So here is uh, the last one. And she says, the women in my family are psychic. And we portend death, which obvi, it goes from her to her little kid. So one night my mum was ironing when suddenly she felt a giant sadness come over her. It was so heavy. She had to leave the laundry and go right up to bed, which is big for her because she's an OCD Virgo. Um, I have one of those. I understand what she's talking about. Um, She got into bed and was talking with my stepdad about this strange, sad feeling. And the last thing they discussed before falling asleep was America and how arrogant we are in thinking that no one will harm us. The next morning, they woke up to see the Twin Towers on fire. Oh, my God. Thanks so much. Love listening to your show, Annie. Oh my god. Uh, you okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's <sighs> your turn. You're right. Do you need oh, a minute, pickle? I do need a minute. Okay. That was a lot, man. Right? It's just rough for an empath. <laughs> Even a skeptical to- one. I know. I wonder if Annie would want to come on our show and talk to us a bit more. It sounds like she's, you know, definitely got stuff genetically going on with her. And I wonder if she's got more stuff that she would want to share. I mean, we've both, you had your cards read by her also, right? Yeah. Or did you not? And she, we should just have her on and read our cards again because she's real good at it. Very good. Yeah. Um, Okay. Let me uh, let me read one for you. Yes, please. Um, this this is just titled "Creepy Story," all caps. I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, all right, this is from Katie. Thank you, Katie. <clears throat> My parents rented the top floor of an old house in Buffalo after they were first married. It wasn't in a great neighborhood, but they never felt uncomfortable because they had a huge German shepherd and downstairs neighbors. Pretty soon after moving in, Gretchen, the dog, started staring at ceiling corners and growling. That's a great sign, right? Uh, uh. One night, my folks heard a ton of slamming noises in the kitchen. They ran to investigate, and a pot was still rattling on the floor. No. 
It was on the opposite side of the room from where it was left. Uh, So it looked like it had smashed the wall as if someone had thrown it across the room. My mother kept her sewing basket in the built-in shelves above their bed. One night, my father woke up during the night because he thought he heard a noise overhead and looked up just in time to see the sewing basket slide off the shelf and throw itself across the room, smashing to the floor at the foot of their bed. No. Not, not like sliding off on his face. Not sliding off and lit across the room. See, and there was a point it's like, maybe they're just having little earthquakes. Granted, it's Buffalo, New York, but maybe, you know, that could be explained. Not that. Big truck goes by, fine, whatever. Yes, I am totally open to all of those explanations. Throwing, just being chucked across the room, just like the pots in the kitchen? No. No. Um, The last odd experiences only happened to my father. Once in the kitchen, he felt as if someone had walked up and given him a massive shove in the back. It was so hard, he almost fell down. My dad is 6'5", and was about 240 pounds of sheer muscle. So that takes some serious force. (laughs) No one was in the house at the time. Another time, he was bending down to look in the fridge when he felt himself being choked from behind. You shut the fuck up. He pried the hands off him, but when he turned again, he found he was alone. No, no, no. How? Uh, what? Why, Why are you here? that house? <laughs> Leaving for work one morning, he looked up at the house and saw the torso of a man staring out the front window. My mom was still asleep in bed, so he tore back into the house, but no one was there. Finally, one night he was driving on the freeway. Mm, I don't want to say it. And he glanced in his rearview mirror to see someone sitting in his back seat. He said it. He said it looked like a man dressed in black, but its face seemed demonic and not human. He quickly pulled over and felt all over the back seat, got out of the car and walked around it, but nothing was there. No. My dad felt as if there was a dark entity in the house. Oh, no shit. No shit. That particularly disliked him and was perhaps obsessed with my gorgeous young mother. So they moved as soon as they could afford to. Thank you for common sense prevailing for once. Jesus effing Christ on a cracker. Like, But let me ask you this question. What what would have been the occurrence that would have made you immediately no part of there? What would it have taken to get to for you? Getting shoved. The shove? Because... The other things I could have, throwing stuff, I could have chalked up to, like, pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I could have even convinced myself the shove was just like, oh, maybe they're not so good at this physical thing. Maybe they just pushed me too hard. You don't accidentally choke someone. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Right. Right. <laughs> 
you don't accidentally choke someone. That reminds me, you told me years ago about feeling like there were people in the backseat of your car when you worked at the medical examiner's office. Yeah. Share that story. Uh, um, When I was 20, I was finishing up my bachelor's degree at SUNY Purchase. Uh, I had had anthropology as my major. I'd always had archaeology in mind, um, but I, I really wanted to sort of move into forensics. So when it came time for my senior project, um, I wanted to do something in the forensic anthropology department. The thing was, we didn't have a forensic anthropology department. So my advisor in the anthro department said, hey, why don't you take me and then find a co-advisor in the bio department? Because, faithful listeners, this was 1999. (laughs) There was no CSI on TV. Um, The only thing that I was watching about this was like the new detectives on Discovery Channel. Um, There weren't forensics classes in every school like there are now. So they didn't know what to do with me. So they were like, uh, go back and forth between the anthro department and the bio department. And uh, maybe you could like, I don't know, go up to the medical examiner's office and see if they could like help you. <laughs> so that's, that was their advice. Um, I mean, so, that sounds like a good suggestion at sh- least. Sure, sure. Um, so I went to Borders Books and ordered... <laughs> and I rem- are they still around I don't know uh. um, but I went to Borders on High Ridge Road in Stanford, Connecticut <laughs> that was next to Friendly's across the street from Burger King if anybody knows what I'm talking about uh, I went there and I ordered a bunch of books by William Bass and Kathy Reichs and uh, I was oh like, my well, god yeah, I, I love Kathy like, Reichs so yeah, much yeah um, and William Bass founded the Body Farm in um, in the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. They were the first ones to have a body farm where people donated their bodies to science, and they would put them in the back of, you know, the trunks of cars and different climates and measure and, and you know tabulate insect activity and how long things took for decomposition. And, and it was very new and super exciting to me. Um, so anyway, they said, get yourself some books and uh, see if the medical examiners can maybe help you out. So I made myself an appointment somehow as a 20-year-old college student with the deputy chief medical examiner at the Connecticut State Medical Examiner's Office in Farmington. And they said, well, I mean, like, we don't have classes or anything. I was like, I don't need that. I have things. I'm like teaching myself. I'm teaching hey, dear listeners, <laughs> in case you haven't gathered this by now, this is Joy in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Oh, this doesn't exist? Okay, cool. So I'm just going to make it happen for myself. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, me in a nutshell. Um, so yeah, I told them, I was like, listen, I don't need a class or anything. I basically just need um, remains. 
I decided that I would do. <laughs> if you got any just laying around the place, I'll yeah, I've got yeah. an IKEA bag in my trunk. It's yeah, fine. yeah, it's fine. It's we fine. can stick at least two, two and a half <laughs> worth of people in there. It's fine. Um, I I had decided that I wanted to do my paper on the human skull. And it was, um, God, a forensic anthropological determination of specific characteristics of an individual using the skull, age, race, sex, and trauma indicators. That was the name of my paper. (laughs) (laughs) You realize you're talking to the person that used to, I used to increase my font to the point that it was big, but not noticeably big. At, with double spaced, just so I could make no enough pages in the paper. Yeah. I uh, while we actually, would have been friends in school, this is an area that we would not have been compatible in. This is just how I would have been like, "Give me your paper, I'll do it." Because oh I'm, god, so I wanted to do the skull and 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 learn about how to tell age and race and that sort of thing. Right. Um. So they said, "Well, I mean." Why don't, why don't you come up um, and we can talk and, and see if we can help you. Nice. So I got in my dark green Cherokee Laredo and I took a drive up. <laughs> God, I love that car. Um, and I met the deputy chief medical examiner who was very sweet. And um, everybody there was really nice, especially since I just showed up. I mean, they didn't, like, call my school or anything. I was just (laughs) (laughs) now that I think about it, I mean, it's not like they checked that I came from anywhere specific. I was just like, I want to do some research. I have zero credentials. I have some Borders books in my backpack. Like, what else? (laughs) So he said, listen, um, we can we can give you access to the unidentified bones room if you, right. If you want to go through there. Um, and there's a whole lab attached to the room. So you can just hang out in there. Nobody is in there right now. Um, so you can go through whatever you need. Just make sure before you're done, like put everything back and lock the door and, and bring me the key. Okay. And I was like, okay, cool. They're like, so why don't we like go around? We'll take a little tour. Okay, cool. Sure. Uh, so we're going around and they're showing me the lab, which pretty much looked like any large high school science lab class with like the black countertop and that sort of thing. Like it was very reminiscent of just like a classroom. And then there was a large ish walk in closet off to the side that just had metal shelving and, um, brown, cardboard boxes like file boxes and each one had a case number and it was all unidentified remains of people from various cases um so they were like yeah you can look through here um let's show them they showed me the rest of the room the bathrooms and this this floor this that floor i think i had been with the chief medical examiner at that point too i think it might have been the three of us together they got a call over the loudspeaker that they needed to go to the autopsy room. So 20-year-old Joy says, oh, shit, that's the end of my tour. Bummer. And they look at me. They go, hey, want to go to the autopsy room with us? Nah. And 20-year-old Joy, without thinking, went, yeah. Oh, my God. 
Joy. Adventure. <laughs> oh no. So we, like get down there and right before we I don't I don't know if I asked anything before we walked in. I might have asked if it smelled because I'm not good like like smells will give me a gag reflex, but looking at gross things, I'm okay. Um, so <laughs> we go into the autopsy room. And as I walked in, there were two vacant slabs and one occupied one all the way at the end. There was like a row above the counter on the right that was um, like for x-rays. I think something like that. And then on the left side, there were like cabinets and things. And there was a, like I said, the one out, the slab in the back was occupied. There was um, a man laying there and there were a few people with scrubs on, taking organs out, weighing them, doing that kind of thing taking pictures and then off to the side <laughs> the left in the very back of the room there were two older men that looked like you could have plunked them there from a stoop in queens they just were like hanging out shooting the shit like no scrubs no masks just like standing there talking so were <clears throat> they cops no, I don't think they weren't like Briscoe. They were yeah. just like they were no. just like two dudes hanging out. I don't know. Ugh, I was I thinking know. of just like just Lenny Briscoe sitting it there wasn't. with it some totally wise cracking one line. It's damn. I wish, but no, Ugh, it, it was just Lenny a very Briscoe. odd scene. So we start walking towards the back a little bit, and the deceased is on the table. Um, I noticed immediately he has really shitty tattoos, which was funny because I had no plans of being a tattoo artist at the time. I was just like, man, these tattoos are shitty. <laughs> and then later, I remember I could I was like, why couldn't I see his face? Did he not have a face? Of course he had a face. I saw his head. Why didn't he? And it was just like his skin was pulled no. over his face. No. No. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So there's a liver on a scale. They're taking pictures. All these things are happening around me. Um, so I'm there with the deputy chief medical examiner and the chief medical examiner's there. And he's like a wall of a man. He had to be like 6'6", just like a big dude. And booming voice. And they're all like, hey, how's it going? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I start kind of like realizing what's happening in the situation and where I have found myself. Right. <laughs> and reality kind of like, made me feel a little funny for a second. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to look at these x-rays here and pretend that I'm just going to take a minute, compose myself looking at these x-rays. And then the chief medical examiner comes over and he says, all right, Miss Forensic Anthropologist, I got a question for you. <gasps> I'm like, fucking pop quiz hotshot. Oh, <laughs> I, I just met you. Give me a <laughs> That guy doesn't have a face right now. But okay, let's go. So he holds up a piece of bone about three to four inches long. Um, it still has meat on the ends of it, but the center is clear. <laughs> I could not eat spare ribs for months after this. Good God. This Just so you know. Awful. Okay. But I did eventually eat them again if anyone was worried. So 
the deceased had been shot and the medical examiner brought me the rib that had the bullet wound in it. Okay. okay. All right. Miss forensic anthropologist, is this an entrance wound or an exit wound? And I said, all right, well, where is this rib from? He's like, a, it's, you know, and he pointed to the front area of the rib cage. And I said, oh, well, it's bubbled in, so it must be an entrance wound in the front. And they were like, entrance wound, entrance wound, entrance. Everybody said the same thing. And this giant wall of a man put his arms up like, like field goal, like goal. What the hell? <laughs> All just like, yeah, we think it's an entrance wound too. Woo, woo, entrance wound, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, well, I'm happy to see you guys don't like take things too seriously. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't think they can with everything no. they see day to day. That's exactly what he said. He just looked at me very plainly and was like, you can't, you can't with this job or you won't oh. make it. Um, so what did so, you end up doing? Did you work with the room of unclaimed bits? Yes, we eventually left the autopsy room and I did not go back to the meaty area of uh, the offices there. I stayed up in my little lab and I would get there by myself and put on a pair of gloves and go through some bones and take out my little books and identify the bones and I'd identify the different areas of the skull and taught myself what was indicative of a male, what was indicative of a female, um, different races, that kind of thing. I found skulls that had gunshot wounds in the head. Mm. Um, I put craniums back together and found a gunshot wound. Um, I, I have this paper. I'll I'll put some of the pictures. I'll give you some of them for the Instagram. So you can yeah. Um, but eventually, I started feeling like I was really never alone. And I chalked it up a lot to stress. Um, I was going to two schools. I was taking 24 credits that semester. I had also just finished taking summer classes. I was trying to finish early, which I did. I graduated a semester early. Um, this semester that I'm talking about was actually my last semester in school. I did the like how to write your paper and write in your paper classes concurrently. God, that's <laughs> so crazy. Um, so I was doing this research. I was working at Starbucks in Greenwich, Connecticut. So I was. Um, my- I'm a former barista too. Yes. Back in the day, oh. um, I worked in a neighborhood where the women would come in on their cell phone in their tennis gear, ignore me, throw their credit card at me, and they would want to have a dairy-free soy something. I mean, I was 24, so it was <laughs> years ago. We well, yeah. I mean, I was 20, and this was. This was Starbucks right off exit five on 95 in Greenwich. And there's a plaque with Joy's name on it there now. There should be. Um, I do not at all fluently speak Spanish, but I understand enough of it and speak enough of it to keep up okay if I'm around it. And some of the other kids that I worked with spoke Spanish and we would speak Spanish behind the counter until we got in trouble (gasps) for it because the customer complained no yes holla at you 1999 um so 
One of my days for school, to give you an idea of how just run ragged I was, I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning, opening Starbucks, because I was living in New Canaan with my parents. Um, I would drive to Greenwich to open Starbucks, worked until 12.30, and I used to save all the extra shots that people weren't taking and just right. drink it on the way to school. So I was like vibrating by the time I got to class. Yeah. Now my tolerance is so bad I can't drink caffeine after noon or I won't sleep for two days. But back then, oh, no, I would fine. just pound those fuckers. No, if I don't have enough caffeine, my blood just coagulates in my veins. Mm. I can't. I have to. Um, <laughs> so, okay. so anyway, I would work at Starbucks until midday, drive from Greenwich to purchase New York, go to class the entire afternoon. And then in the early evening, at least one night a week, I would then go from purchase to Stanford and have a class until 9.30 at UConn and then drive home after that and get up for Starbucks in the day and somehow do homework and write my paper and visit my fiance at fucking UConn in Jesus stores. Joy. Did so, you sleep? No, I didn't, which is why I chalked a lot of these feelings up to just exhaustion. Yeah, a combination of being strung out on espresso and yeah. no sleep. Yeah. It was okay. just drive. It was just pure I want to do this and I will and watch me. Okay. Um which is how a lot of things have happened in my life. So uh, I had this crazy schedule and I was driving up to Farmington to go. I mean, this, these are not places that are like five minutes away from each other. These right. are, this is a lot of driving. Okay. Um, so I was going to Farmington. I was going to stores at Stanford, New Canaan, Greenwich, Purchase, all over the fucking place. And I started feeling not alone. No. But not in like a great way. In like no. a nagging way no the rear view mirror situation really got bad I was driving all hours of the day I mean in the the morning when I was leaving it was pitched out so I was driving back roads in New Canaan and Norwalk on like the post road at four in the morning With terrified like no street and just woken up yeah. No. So, so it didn't matter if it was when I first woke up or when I was on my way home, I was terrified of my backseat because I always thought somebody was behind me. Then it started to just be behind me. Then I just felt like it was all what? around me. Like, like, I don't know. When you were in, like, not like just I would, when you're in the car, like no, all the time. I, I would get out of the car. And I remember I have this very vivid memory one time of getting out of my Jeep and running through the like condo yeah, no driveway shit. area to my parents' house and then getting in the house and no one being home and me fucking losing my mind. Cause I was just like, I'm petrified. I feel like I'm being chased all the time. Like <laughs> there aren't yeah. enough cigarettes in the world. There aren't, there's not enough coffee in the world. Like I'm just stressed all the time. And now I feel like something's following me. Yeah, I would. I I had my bed lofted to make more room, and I no. remember laying there. No, how many things are just hanging out under that fucker? No, not even that. I just felt like I was eye level with whatever was standing there, 
So there were, there were times that I was just literally, I'm not exaggerating, like petrified sheets over my face, like scared to open my eyes. I haven't. I would have been spooning with the wall. I mean, yeah, I Jesus. really have not talked about this very much. Um, no wonder. Sorry. Like, like petrified to the point of, I might pee the bed, but I'm too afraid to move. <laughs> so all of these things are going on, and then it amps up, and it wasn't. It was like I would be at the medical examiner's alone in a lab surrounded by dead people. Yeah. Just hanging out, holding their heads in my hands yeah. and not not having any like real concept then of psychometry or, you know, picking up on things just from holding them or right. like not not really knowing that that was a thing that could happen. Like there was not a lot of empath talk going on at that time. There was just like not a lot of things that we talk about very matter of factly now. Right. Right. Um, I remember I would sit in the room and like cartoon brain joy would just imagine a fully assembled skeleton leaning in the doorway with like its foot like crossed, just going, when are you going to get to me? What? I never I never saw it. But it was in but, your noggin. Right. Like that was what cartoon brain just assembled the skeleton was like, hello. No, 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 no. Interestingly, while I was there, I happened upon a skull that was in a plastic bag and it had some police paperwork attached to it. And it said, please Return to the family upon completion of investigation for reinterment. Wait, but this was this was unidentified. unidentified. Somebody missed something. (sighs) So I read the police report, and the skull was found with members of the Wesleyan Mystical Society. What? Uh, apparently it had been grave robbed. <gasps> some college kids had Shut it. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. So. That's uh, some skull and bones shit. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, literally, but you know yeah, what I mean. Absolutely. Um, but this, this skull was just sitting there with this paperwork from like years before. That was like, when this investigation is over, this needs to be returned to the family. And it was still sitting up there. So I like, I took my gloves off and went downstairs. And there was an elevator that I had to take down. And I went into the deputy chief's office and I was like, hey, uh, I found this skull and this police report. And I explained it to him. And he's like, that's weird. Huh. Would you just bring it down to me before you leave? And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. (laughs) Which just. Again, I mean, okay, cool. You saw that be what I was saying yes to. Cut to a couple hours later, 20 year old Joy, (laughs) who knows what color my fucking hair was at the time, is in an elevator with a skull under her arm, (laughs) bringing it down to the office. 
So I brought it over and I handed it to him and he looked at the report and he was like, that's so weird. That's really, thanks for, like, that's so strange that it's still there. And he just, like, put it facing him on his desk and kind of, like, I think he might have patted it on the head a little bit. But, like, all right, well, I have a buddy for the afternoon. (sighs) (laughs) But all of these things that they did around the office made me, made me feel like I wasn't a nutcase. Yeah. Like, Cause that's just how, like, that's how my brain worked. I was like, okay, yes. Well now I, there's a buddy here or whatever. Like I attach humanity to these remains, but I'm still being very scientific about it at the same time. Um, so yeah, that was, that was interesting, but I assume that that skull got back to the rest of its corporeal remains and back in the ground with its family. Um, but yeah, my anxiety increased um, to the point that I couldn't, I was afraid to shower. I like didn't want to be in the bathroom alone. I didn't want to be in the shower alone. Um, I remember I had my sister come sit in the shower with me, like not in the actual shower, but in the bathroom. I was like, can you please just sit here so I can take a shower and I'm not just frightened the entire time. Um, so do you you think it was all of the people who if they're unidentified that means that it's almost they've been forgotten about or there's no resolution to their death and you are the first person in god knows how long to be going into this closet with them and touching their remains and And like you said figure things out about yeah But you just, one of the things you just said just hit the nail on the head. Yes, you were being scientific about it, but these were people at one point. And it was recognizing that, respecting it, and understanding that. And it makes me wonder if because you were the first person in God knows how long to have gone in there with that mindset and just, um, I don't know, that then... Considering you do have the the tingles, you know, you've got the empathic thing, that they recognize that in you and that they decided they needed help and that you were the person to help them. But it was just a lot of people following you around. It's possible. I've never thought of it like that before because I am still so locked into the memory of how it was for me at the time. Right. You know, it's hard to look at it from a different point of view when it's you. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's very plausible. It sounds like a theory that I would back if somebody else told me this story. <laughs> so listen, Joy, I'm here to tell you. No, that's what it honestly sounds like to me. It's just the longer you were there, the more, the more with the remains you were, the more you know, your little bug light, the brighter it shined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me just sitting in that room, it it was like a, it was always, I'm still like feel the same side of my head, like where I was sitting in that room. Like I knew where I was facing, but I could like, it was like feeling goosebumps just on one side of me where the entrance to that closet was. Like they were standing there waiting. Yes. Just it, like, it was a, just it like was a tiny crowd of people. Yeah. Like they're all just in the room, like peering over one another. I have 
complete goosebumps. I have goosebumps on my big toes and I didn't know I could do that. Um, Ta-da! <laughs> New party trick, everybody. I know, right? Um, I tried after the thing with my sister, after I was like, okay, this is, this is not sustainable. Like I cannot continue like this. I don't, looking back, I don't know how I was so brave to continue doing the things I needed to do that were very far away that I had to go do by myself because this was just all consuming. Right. Um, I sat down with my parents and I was like, you know how you told me that if something interferes with your daily life, then it's, it's something you need to talk about. You have to like do something about it. And I pre- I think I just said to them, I think I'm going crazy. Like that's No, honey, you were being haunted. You were just being haunted by a lot of people <sighs> who were really hoping that you could be their voice. I tried. I know. I mean, I didn't like know that's what they were doing, but I was trying. Um, and I, I, I sat down with my parents and they were like, what are you talking about? And I explained the whole thing and how long it had been going on and how I really was terrified to be any place by myself. And I mean, even in my, my own room, my own house, my own car, like these places, especially my car, my car has always been like a safe haven for me. Right. And to not have that was just really jarring and sort of like hopeless. So they were like, okay, well, you know, let's talk to a therapist and, and let's see, you know, we want you to feel better. And I was like, great, that's, that's the right answer. Thank you, parents. So I went to see this therapist and he was great. And he was like, listen, we can look at it two ways. We can look at it from the scientific point of view and just be like, there are no such thing as ghosts. Let's figure out what this is. Or we can look at it and say, yes, there are ghosts. What do we do about this? Wow. Right? <laughs> I think I had two to three sessions with him. And that was it. Because someone in my family said, this is expensive. Can you wrap this up? Oh, deep breaths. <laughs> oh. Mm. About mm. that about that universal health care. Um, yeah. Mm. So that, that has obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm almost 42. That happened 22 years, 21 years ago, 21 years yeah. ago. Um, and it is still so unresolved that like, I'm hearing things from you that I've never thought about. I don't even talk about this. Like when I tell stories about hauntings or like weird things that have happened. I never even go to this place because I was so stuck in the mindset of this was you losing your mind. Right. This was you doing too much. This was you going crazy. This was not a haunting. Right. (laughs) But like, duh. (laughs) Uh, Yes, my dear. You were being haunted. Do you remember like our, it was like our first or second episode. I think you said something about, well, you know how like when you're alone and I was like, well, first of all, I never really feel like I'm ever alone. Right. (laughs) Like that's still kind of true. Yeah. Um, 
I think I was more open to it when I was younger. I think since then I've had to shut down doors in myself to just get things done because it's overwhelming. I mean, if this is any sort of indication of what can happen when I'm not grounding and centering myself. Um, but dude, I mean, it was wild. I mean, that was, that was like a whole semester of driving up there. I think sometimes I was going once a week. Like, wow. Yeah, it was a lot. So, yeah, you're, <laughs> I spent like, a lot of time holding dead things <laughs> and apparently they wanted to chat, <laughs> but I will, I'll, um, I'll post some of those pictures because there's definitely at least one skull that I found that when I put it back together, there was a gunshot wound and it did seem to line up with the trajectory of a self-inflicted wound. Um, I mean, there's, Ooh. yeah, so that's hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like in that room that there, these are not natural cause situations. These are the result of violent, traumatic experiences, either at the hand of someone else or at the hand of the person who took their own life. And so with that, being the 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 ending of this person no wonder you felt terrified all the time because that level of the level of fear that's in someone when they know they're going to die at the hand of someone else I can't imagine it um you know I've the only thing I've ever experienced from the other side with that is when I was in university my cousin was murdered and um, I can't imagine knowing, having all of that fear and then just knowing that that's it, that's it. Yeah. And I never thought about it from his point of view until now when we're talking about it. And this was over 20 years ago because for such a long time, I've been so angry at the person who made the decision yeah to end his life for mm -hmm. whatever reason you know there's so much there's so much wrapped up in the remains of of the lives that you are holding yeah this so is a lot. <laughs> we have this is a good show and we also really haven't rambled that much okay yeah <laughs> Bye. Here's their last email that we'll do. Uh, the subject line is Spooky Share Childhood Home Story. And it starts with coming in strong from Long Island, NY, with a childhood home that was built in 1888. Whoa. We've experienced many strange and mysterious things over the years and soon learned that we were sharing the house with a family of three spirits. <laughs> We don't know who they are, but from what they gather, it's husband, wife, and one of their mothers. Oh, God. That must have sucked. Uh, they husband weren't scared of showing them. One of their mothers? Right. <laughs> oh, what did you guys do? 
Uh, they weren't scared of showing themselves and we never felt threatened, but they also wanted us to know it was their house too. Ooh, there's an exclamation point at the end of that. One night, my sister-in-law, then brother's girlfriend, went downstairs to use the bathroom. And as she walked into the living room, she looked to her left. And there at our dining room table, they were sitting playing cards. Shut the fuck up. No, I won't. She said that everything stopped and she felt paralyzed and they looked right at her. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm laughing. (laughs) She screamed. We all woke up and they were gone and she never slept over again. I do not blame you. A few years later, my cousin was sleeping over on Thanksgiving Eve, woke up in the middle of the night and the older woman was standing over her watching her sleep. And after comparing looks, it was the same woman that my sister-in-law stole. Okay. Okay. But, okay, she's got, but she says, but not all ghosts are bad. When we think of spirits and ghosts, we automatically think scary, danger, but not all of them are bad. My mom was battling stage three breast cancer in the 90s at a young age. She was tired, so sick, and just wanted to give up one night. It was maybe around 2 a.m., We were all asleep and she slept on the couch to be closer to the bathroom as the chemo, the chemo was making her unwell. She was having a rough night, didn't know how she was going to keep fighting until the spirit of a woman who we shared our house with went to her side. My mom said she couldn't see her. It was more of a shadow, but it was peaceful. The woman covered my mom with a blanket rubbed her head a few times, and in that moment, my mom knew that she was going to be okay. She swears to this day that the spirits in our house helped her fight cancer and not the doctors. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's signed, Happy Halloween, friends. Love, Cara. So much crying this episode. Okay, Pickle? Um, no, I'm not okay. I'll be. Oh, that's just lovely. All our beautiful ghost friends. That's not an invitation to cover me with a blanket, but still. <laughs> what kind of card game they were playing? All I can think is like, were they playing Pinochle? I or... always think of Pinochle just because it's a funny word. I know. Um, after that very emotional episode for you. Oh, yeah. Let's, um, let's take our moment of gratitude. Oh, yes. Okay. You first. Ah, fuck. (laughs) That was the witchiest laugh I think I've ever heard you make. Anyway, you go first. Uh, What am I grateful for? I mean, other than the obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Other than... um, Other than finally not having... A white dude as a vice president. Uh, I am grateful. I'm grateful that on our little, um, on our like mom sell buy trade purge thing, that uh, I put up some of my art because I was just like, listen. Do y'all want to have some like original discounted art because it just needs homes. 
and my studio is tiny and I don't have room for everything. And I put up a bunch and a lot of people actually bought like a good amount of stuff and it made me feel really great that people liked my stuff that I just made because I thought it was nice. Um, for those of you listening at home, Joy is a fucking amazing artist. As Obviously, she's a tattoo artist, so she's a good artist. But No, like, no. No, I that have... doesn't... No, hang okay, on. Okay, sorry. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Let's be real. <laughs> Being a tattoo artist does not make you an artist. Okay. Go on. Okay. Uh, I have uh, Joy's artwork around my house, and it makes me so fucking happy. And she does really a badass stuff. So um, I will. I've I've put links to it in the past through our Instagram, which is by the way the underscore residuals underscore podcast. So I'll put some uh, links to it on there to go and check out her artwork. It's phenomenal. Thank you very much for that plug. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I think I might actually try in the new year to put a little shop back on my website. But oh, we'll do see. it. We'll see. It's just one more fucking thing for me to do. Um, I, I am grateful for that. It made me feel really good. So thank you, everybody, who bought a little piece of my stuff. Yay! What are you grateful for? Listen, I'm gonna be real. I'm gonna get real. Medication. Oh, I'm yeah. incredibly grateful for medication. Incredibly grateful to science for medication. <laughs> and I'm talking, I'm talking serotonin <laughs> medication. Yeah. I'm talking the medication that helps helps it's you know it's the insulin that that my my brain pancreas needs it is thank you thank you pharmaceuticals and that's what I'm fucking grateful for fantastic thank, thank you <laughs> so listen do you have a story would you like to send it to us well, that's fantastic because we would love you to send it to us too. Oh, yes. Too. Please, 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 please. So much. Uh, do you have you know, questions? Do yeah, you do have, you have stories from your past? Like I obviously do that I can't, I can't give myself the ghost therapy on and I need other people to do it. It really helps to have other people listen because they're not stuck in that emotional block of everything. Right. And we're not just looking for spooky, oh, my goodness, I saw a ghost or, you know, stuff like that. It's also just the unexplainable, like odd shit that you just cannot really explain. So if you have anything like that, please send us an email to podcast at gmail.com. And uh, again, our Instagram has all of this information on it. And that's the underscore residuals underscore podcast. We also have a Twitter that we barely use, but it's good. Uh, <laughs> I know. We also have a Facebook page, but I'm afraid of it. That's Joy's thing. I'm, I'm, afraid. I'm afraid of Facebook. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, Slide into our DMs on the Instas and uh, or send us an email. Again, that's the residuals, plural, residuals podcast at gmail.com. Um, you know what? I've missed the light at the end of the tunnel and it yeah. is back and I see it and I have a little bit of hope. Right. So with that being said, 
Carol Stay Anne. spooky. <laughs> and don't be afraid of the dark. Ooh, that was creepy, Joy. Oh, thanks. I can be creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. And by the way, I got an A on that paper.